My name is Ken Jaroge. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Cellulant, a payments uh, company based out of Nairobi. My name is Allard Luchsinger. I'm uh, a venture capitalist uh, at Velocity Capital. We focus on early stage fintech investors and uh, we're a proud investor in Cellulant. Hello and welcome to you, Ken, for the first time and welcome back to the show to you, Allard. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great to be here again. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you, in your introduction, sort of um, alluded to the why we'd want to do this interview with you guys at this time. Um, starting with you, Ken, firstly, congratulations. For those of uh, our listeners who haven't heard about the, the round of funding that you've closed, give us a sense of how much you've raised and, more importantly, what you plan to do with the money. So we are actually not uh, not a startup. I think you could call us a very maybe one of the oldest scale ups. We've been in business for about fifteen years. Well, Facebook still calls themselves a startup. <laughs> yeah, that that that's indeed correct. So we've uh, essentially gone through a very long incubation cycle, and and, and and most of it is because fintech is very young in Africa, and uh, just the incubation period of uh, businesses at this point takes long. Uh, so we've uh, raised. Uh, this is our third round of funding. Yeah, so we've done this before. Uh, but this particular round is important because it uh, it comes at a time when uh, we can say that we know enough about uh, the landscape, we know enough about the territory, we know where we want to invest. Uh, most of the investment will go into scaling existing products uh, uh, in existing markets. So there's still a lot of scope for growth uh, and mostly people, people in tech. And so, Alad, uh, interesting uh, that Ken left out the number. And, of course, he hasn't gone all the way into explaining what exactly his business does. He's given us some idea what the money's for. Um, I think it would be interesting for you as one of the investors in this latest round to explain to us all uh, what you saw in this business and perhaps in doing that explain what the, you know, what the business does and, indeed, how much they've raised. Yeah, let's 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 get that point uh, out now. <laughs> so, no, they've raised forty-seven and a half million dollars uh, with TPG as their lead investor, and TPG, not everybody might know, is like one of the top uh, private equity firms in the world that are now really focusing on uh, on Africa, and uh, this is uh, this is one of their first large uh, investment. I think the first in fintech in Africa, and and they really see Celluland as the platform to uh, to build a very very large payment. They want to dominate payments in Africa, and this Celluland is going to be um, the foundation for that. So. So what we saw, I mean, I, I, um, I've myself been personally involved with uh, Celluland since 2011. And actually, I, uh, I joined the firm as an, uh, as an outside director uh, because of experience I had building a fintech out of Silicon Valley. Um, and this is at the same time, actually, exactly at the same time, I started working for Velocity Capital. And that's also when we started investing in fintech. Um, and and actually, the the we, we are a bit of a weird animal. We are we are not a real fund. Actually, we are investing uh, one gentleman's money. His name is Willem Willemstein, and I told uh, spoke to Willem. I, I told him, Settlement is going to be like that's the kind of investments we want to make. This, How long ago is this? So this is 2011. So it took some time for us to actually do the investment. But what we saw in this business is that fintech in uh, you know solves a lot of problems. But I think uh, uh, for many people all over the world, but I think in emerging markets, it solves so much more of a real problem than anywhere else. Uh, because if you have a, a, a third of the people 
uh, with the bank account at max. And so 70% of the people basically no no bank account, no access to any financial services, then giving someone the ability to do a mobile payment is, um, uh, is, is, is huge, right? And then with the mobile payment comes the lending and comes saving and, and so giving access to financial services as a start. And what we saw is that, of course, you know, M-Pesa broke, broke that path and is, could say, the, 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 one of the most successful fintechs in the world. Uh, but we saw that this was going to go through Africa. And if you looked at it, we, we saw that Celan was very well positioned. Uh, they had a good base built in Nigeria and, um, in the uh, in the agri sector, uh, connecting lots of farmers to a wallet, and they had a really good position with banks in uh, in large parts of the continent, helping them with their mobile uh, strategies and their mobile wallet strategies. So basically, that agri uh, play could roll out over Africa. It was very uh, scalable and and, um, uh, and and very unique knowledge. Uh, next to the fact that Nigeria in itself is a very important market, and actually that banking network gives. In, in incredible access to to basically an infrastructure play in uh, in many uh, of the of the rest of the continent. So we, we so so hang on. I'm going to cut you there because Ken, I want to know. Um, you've obviously done your job well. If you've got one of your investors sounding like he works at the company, uh, <laughs> so give me a sense of. There's two things actually. You know, in the response you gave me earlier that that st- stand out to me. The first one is obviously that you, you you bristled slightly at the at the notion of you being a startup quote unquote yeah. and it's interesting to me that that obviously means something to you in a way that doesn't sit right in your thinking of where your business is and where it's going and i want to understand why so that's the first question the other thing that stood out to me as sort of alan was speaking and and, and as i was listening to you earlier is um, you're obviously at the unique place in your career, certainly in the life of this business, where you're clearly in a position to pick and choose who to take investment from. And I'm curious about the process uh, and the thinking that inhabits someone in that position. So let's let's start with the first question. Okay. I think if I summarize the first question is, uh, why don't we naturally sort of accept uh, being called a startup? I, th- I think it's a combination of two things. So if you look at um, the size of the business in terms of revenue, it's it's a, a very small, especially if you if you read TechCrunch tech and stuff like that, and you compare with uh, businesses like Uber that are seven years old and so on. So in a sense, we're still very small. And what's the revenue, uh, uh, annual revenue at this point? I can't say now, uh, <laughs> but we are not that we are not that small. We are not that big. All you're gonna say is you're not Facebook yet. <laughs> we are not Facebook yet. Uh, but, but basically, but if you look at the amount of work that we've done in sort of building out the foundational infrastructure, and that's been a huge effort over 15 years, right? So in that sense, you could say that we've been sort of building the foundation of the business for much, much longer than a typical startup would have been. Uh, so what we do is, is we, so we've built this platform uh, across multiple banks and uh, across the unbanked in, in Africa. What's unique about our platform is that uh, I think it's the only platform of its kind that uh, spans from the people with bank accounts and people without bank accounts in some of the largest markets on the continent. And then what we've done over this infrastructure that we've built out over the last few years is sort of evolved uh, a set of services across, let's say, three buckets of, of, of use cases or problem areas in Africa. One is bill payments. Uh, this is, uh, is surprisingly such a pain uh, for, for somebody living in Kenya, somebody living in Zimbabwe, uh, just sort of paying the monthly utility bills or buying uh, prepaid top-up for their phone or buying prepaid top-up for their, uh, for their electricity. Um, 
so that's a huge market uh, potentially 300 million people that uh, that that have needs for these services uh, then the other uh, bucket is uh, in in agriculture this is largely uh, you know 70% of africa's uh, unbanked uh, is uh, largely rural and ra- largely connected to agriculture so, uh, so you can imagine no bank accounts no financial services no payments and therefore no access to any form of economic system including even selling products and stuff like that and so there we find that uh, in, in, in just putting the payment a platform is not enough. We have to evolve a couple of layers of services to actually make complete the loop in a sense. And then uh, the other sort of logical group of customers is actually global payment companies, internet companies that are looking to take payments from Africans, right? And, uh, and you know, Africa is uh, a bunch of countries. Uh, with people with bank accounts, without bank accounts, and sort of, and Celluland offers a single API, single point of contact, sim- single company uh, providing uh, payments across Africa for, for uh, let's say, uh, a global internet brand that wants to offer services to increasingly mobile and smartphone, uh, Africans with smartphones. So that, that in a nutshell is, uh, is what we do. Uh, the journey of sort of fundraising has been very interesting. So before you get into that, I just wanted to drill down a little bit into into the psyche of what you've just described, and because I, uh, I suppose I think you sense as as do I sometimes that the notion of what it looks like or to, or feels like or the reality of starting up in Africa comes with a certain stigma of perhaps a lack of investability that perhaps you you don't you clearly have graduated from long, long, and long time ago. Is, is that the thing? Yes and no. I think Africa is a very interesting continent. Uh, but, but, but when we started this business very early, I think uh, Bolaji and I, Bolaji is my co-founder, is Nigerian. Uh, we knew that it was going to be difficult to build a technology business in Africa. We knew that uh, we wanted to build a business. We wanted to build a business at scale. We wanted to build a business... Uh, uh, that didn't benefit from influence, co- political influence, corruption, and stuff like that. So we wanted to sort of build it the hard way. We knew it was going to be difficult. We knew it was going to take long. So I think we came in with the mindset of um, you, you just get it done despite the odds, right? Uh, and I think as an African, you can If we had to change the uh, sort of the context of the continent, we you start with where you are with what you have. Uh, so in a sense, so it's difficult for me uh, as a mindset to say, well, it's more difficult. I think there's unique problems. Uh, but uh, what our experience has been is that uh, you just wear them down. I mean, that's just what it is. Uh, and I think we did that with the first round of funding. It was very incredibly difficult. Uh, then it was incredibly difficult with the second round of funding. And it was incredibly difficult with the third round of funding. Get out. Get out. Come on. Like, like you, Alan, please, you were trying to get into this deal. TPG's like running this deal. Like, is, is this, like, come on. Now, everybody wants to get in and uh, it's like, it's like uh, uh, flies on honey. And uh, <laughs> now, I, I mean, fundraising is always hard. Uh, I mean, every everybody who says it's not hard, it's tough. It's it's hard. And um, look, I had this conversation with the folks at Andela. I'm like, come on! Yeah. Like at some point, we know like you don't have the same problems as the rest of quote unquote startups on the continent. Let's be honest. So I can tell you that this has been a year, a process of a year, uh, and in that process, you know, many things happen, and uh, in the end. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that Settlement has built such a foundational uh, kind of such a such such great infrastructure play that there's 
several investors that wanted to get into the round, right? Which is great. Um, and, and then you have to go through the whole process. And, and what we, I mean, it's also kind of new to me. I mean, doing, uh, doing a, a deal with an extremely professional and large uh, organization like TPG is, and it's, it's really a lot of money. It's just not easy, right? That there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, and I, I must say that the way Sutherland has been going through this process and basically kind of just hitting every, like ticking all those boxes and, and getting it over the finish line, that, that was a, that was a big task and that needed, that needed, it's a pretty mature organization actually to get through that process. So give me a sense of like some of the hoops you'd need to jump in, you know, jump through. Cause it sounds like almost like vetting up, vetting upwards and downwards as well, where it's like, listen, if you're going to be a deal, if you're going to be at, you know, at the table for this deal, um, you as Velocity Capital need to be bringing a certain level of value. You need to be, you know, I suppose at the level of TPG, they're practically picking and choosing from, you know, in terms of the formulation of the people at the table and that kind of thing. Give me a sense of what was involved in in your case that might have been perhaps less of an issue, say, in your previous investment in Africa. You know, I, I think of Yoko and there was one other I think there's one other you guys have been invested in so far on the oh, continent. Yeah. So far, we've invested in two. We are working on the third one, but uh, so we ha- we have two. And to get to your question, I, I mean, to, this is really important. Um, so in the end, TPG was the one that that we're going to close this deal with, right? And uh, but the company has always been on top of this. So it's, it, it doesn't, it's not like the TPG, you know, it's like we're going to invest, but then, you know, we decide everything from now on. I mean, that's clearly in the management uh, and it's not us, right? It's, it's, it's Ken and team that, uh, that basically call the shots. They are the company. And, and also, uh, Ken brought other investors, uh, to the table and, and we are already in. So we have never had a discussion that TPG would go like, Oh, I, you know, I, these guys, I don't like them at all. So it's been very teamy and very, uh, I mean, I think all very professional, and and it's also that we didn't bring any bad players to the to the table, and I think the investors already in is a really good group. Uh, we've all worked together very well over the past years, and uh, so no, that that all was very harmonious. I don't feel that there was any like. Uh, uh, kind of playing around, trying to trying to get on top of something, or trying to uh, to squeeze out people in this case at all. So, and I think it's very important to know that in, also in this, if you're a strong company, uh, you know the fundraise can be tough, but in the end, you still control that destiny and you still decide what's happening. And I think in this case, that was clearly the case. So, Ken, give me an indication of what was different between the first, second, and third raise. Like, perhaps give me two or three distinct um, challenges or issues. Um, experientially or otherwise between the first the second and third raise yeah i think there's one which i would pick which is essentially the um, uh, the level of formality i i I think i think in the in the in the first round um it was uh, i mean less less structured as 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 it has been as we've gone through 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 the race so our first investor was a, a small uh, uh, a private equity fund, venture capital fund, I think. Um, and then the second uh, raise was uh, a, a two larger, slightly larger funds. And so they were just much more formalized, much more structured. And then this uh, uh, larger larger round, uh, the latest round, just because of its structure and TPG's uh, uh, size was highly structured. I mean, every single part of it was highly f- 
uh, formalized and so on and so forth. I think that's that's one of the sort of uh, distinct uh, distinct areas. I think uh, the, in the last round, um, I, I could say also that we were very structured in the process. So we built a, a hit list of about 60 uh, funds. I read somewhere that you guys took something like 300, 400 meetings. What? 400 peaches. <laughs> Are you serious? 400 peaches in, uh, in, in 24 months. So the, the, the sort of uh, getting in and engaging TPG towards closer was 12-month process, but the fundraising itself uh, was, was really a cutting, you know, sifting, trying to figure synergy and so on and so forth for 24 months. 400, 400 plus peaches. That is insane. And so, in now with the you know the value of retrospect, um, what would you say? You know, the biggest lessons you've learned from each raise. How are you evolving as a as a CEO as a founder? Okay, I think there's uh, <clears throat> there's two distinct learnings I get from the fundraising. So, one of them is essentially the learnings that I take back into the business, and then the second one is essentially um, just about the process itself. So maybe I start with the process itself. I, I think that it's a sale process. If, if I was to talk to any founder, entrepreneur, CEO, it's a sale process. It's, it's a sale process. Uh, so it means you build a hit list, uh, you get on the road, and it's a full-time job. Um, and, and so it's very important for the CEO to organize their time and organize the organization before fundraising because what happens, you cannot afford uh, that uh, in the long fundraising process for the business to suffer, right? I mean, um, it, it typically you can find yourself in sort of a situation where, you you know, every, every meeting that I had uh, with, with investors, they'd uh, start by saying, so how are you doing on your numbers and how are you doing on your commitments? <laughs> and the cover better be growing and you better be staying uh, close to some of the commitments, some of the projections that you presented, right? So you cannot afford for that to happen. So you need to organize yourself to for the fact that uh, you and your CFO are going to be on the road forever. Uh, you're not going to pay much attention to too many things. Just It's mentally uh, gripping. Uh, and that's important. Um, so that's a <clears throat> one, one lesson about the, the process itself. I think what I carry back from the process is incredible because you think about it, 400 uh, conversations with some of the smartest people who are looking uh, to invest in the business. So there's no dimension of the business that doesn't get questioned, right? Uh, so every part of your strategy, every part of your organization is comes under scrutiny and it is questioned. And that's fantastic reflection time for CEO. I mean, CEO's job is very lonely, right? I mean... Uh, you basically, everybody in the office expects direction from you. So what was the best and most constructive no you heard? Uh, so I think there was a couple and uh, some of them done, done with a lot of drama. I, I, I remember one, one, one investor um, so uh, uh, pitching and, um, and this guy was hardly, you know, sort of paying attention. And then at some point, you know, you know it's very irritated. He asked me, you know, 15 years, why, why is your business so small? <laughs> and it was tough. And I took that and I said, what did that guy mean? I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, so, so I had, so that was uh, interesting. Uh, that, that I think is the most compelling no that I had on the road. So what would have led you to, to, to think about differently? Um, okay, so that's a difficult question. The question is, you know, what did I take out of um, what did I take out of that stuff? Is it's just to go back and challenge yourself and say, actually thinking about it, you know, we've been around for fifteen years. Should we be this small? Uh, does what did he expect? Like PayPal? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, a couple of hundred million dollars uh, <laughs> bigger than we are. So that so yeah, so so I don't know what what they were thinking, but you just take you know you take back. I, I think the value is just taking back those questions and reflecting on them. Uh, so there was a uh, lots of questions about our areas of focus. Uh, there was uh, lots of uh, worries about how diversified our business model is uh, relative to sort of other. Uh, singular use case, uh, singular platform payment models that are sort of regular in other parts of the world. Um, yeah, so there is lots of very, very hard questions. You take back and re reflect very hard on, on these things. So, Alan, I mean, the last time I, I spoke to you, um, I think you were well into nearly landing your second investment, which is why I assumed at this point it had gotten down and maybe Salient would be your third. What's the story? Because I'm sitting here with my expectations about, like, at this point, you guys got your beaks wet with Yoko. I sense things are going okay over there. They never share any numbers. I'm still annoyed by that. But, um, um, yeah, top level, everything looks okay. Um, and so I sense you've had a pretty decent investment experience so far. Like, why is Hellion only the second firm in like nearly what two years since I spoke to you? Yeah. So, so first of all, Hellion was our first. Oh, Hellion was your first. Were you involved in the previous round? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so okay. So I didn't do my research there. Okay. Uh, so okay. No worries. No worries. So, so we got in. So we were one of the two funds that did the Series B. Right. Gotcha. All right. My bad. I assumed you guys hopped on for the third. No, no, we, we are actually part of the company as, uh, already, and um, uh, we, we, we did participate in this round. Uh, so the, the big D, dilution, that happened, obviously. Uh, well, actually, there was, we, we had some convertibles that converted into this round that uh, we did, and we actually participated ourselves. So, no, we are, we, we, we are very happy. I mean, and even, I mean, at some point for investors like us, uh, that we, we don't think dilution is something uh, bad. I mean, it's all about how to get to the next stage. And, and, and this is so transformational. I think for not only for Sutherland, but also for the whole ecosystem for fintech in Africa. And this is just a great step. And, and uh, and TPG, you know, it's 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 clear why they are good guys. They're getting in at a really great moment because now the company really, and you see it dropping into the PNL now in all the stuff that we've been working on for years. Uh, that is now like it, it starts to show, and and the real growth is is happening right now. It's got to be annoying, like this big money you can just float in. You guys have been doing the slog work. You've been on the continent, like like vetting all this all this talent, and they just swoop in with their millions. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, actually, I think you know we've been thinking about this a little bit. I think maybe this is what we do, right? This is what we do. We come in at Series A, and this was a Series B, but it was kind of Series A, Series B stage. And we'd been, I, we'd been involved longer. It just was that was the moment that we invested. And then we are very close to the companies we work with. Um, we really try to be there, help them to grow. And then at some point, like the big, the big guys come in. And, and we are still there and we still participate and we still are there for the founders so that they're not alone basically on the road with, uh, with, uh, with the very big PE guys. And I think that that fits us very well. So, um, so and then to your question. So, um, so the second uh, investment we did was Yoko. Uh, we couldn't be happier with Yoko. They're doing really, really great and they're, they're so dominant in South Africa now and they're preparing there. And they're actually, we're t piloting and testing in, in other sub-Saharan Africa countries. Uh, no, and, and, and they're working on the raise and it's all, it's really going very well. Um, and, and actually we are working on our third investment now. So 
we don't do many investments. We have nine in total. So for us, if we do two investments a year, that's that's a good pace. Could be three, but sometimes it's uh, it was been a year that it was one. So so we really try to pick and choose very carefully because we'll we'll know we, we'll be working with these guys very closely, and um, uh, we were a small team. So no, I, I think that uh, that and and this third one is going to be you know another really good one. On you say what? Uh, not yet. Of course not. Well, I want to ask you, Ken, how you manage exit expectations. You've heard me ask, you know, Alan about this whole, I suppose, uneasy relationship. VC tends to have a P, you know, PE, you know, type players. And, and you know, I mean, just the, the investment game is just fraught with, yeah. with challenges, I think, especially for those who, who enter early and frankly take on the, the biggest risk. How do you manage exit expectations of the likes of Velocity and everyone else you've brought on board? Because, I mean, they're playing the VC game. They're no doubt eyeing you guys and your potential to deliver a massive return at some point. Um, if at nine investments, you know, a 10 coming online soon, you know, you, you, you potentially are one of the 10 that to knock it out of the park. I mean, what sort of pressure does that come with? And what sort of things do you as a CEO and founder have to do to manage that expectation in, in an investor like Allard? To be quite honest, I don't think that I've uh, struggled, uh, you know, managing those expectations with uh, with with my set of investors. I think uh, I think we've been incredibly blessed with a set of uh, fairly patient investors. I think you think they get it, like they totally get it for real. I think, and, and I'm not speak, saying that because Allard is here. Velocity. No, I'm sure you're not. <laughs> velocity does get it, and I think it's a combination of uh, uh, the Velocity founder and Allard and the team there. And just the configuration of the fund, I think there's just something around the structure of the fund that, that gets them there. But I think overall, my, my sense around exit is, has always been that, look, if you build a fundamentally good business, then exit will figure it out. Uh, you, you know, exit will take care of itself, right? And uh, when, when, when people come to their end of, end of life for the fund, and then uh, if you have a really good business, there'll be lots of people uh, trying to come in and you can figure out you have exit flexibility. So I, I always say that that's sort of the insurance package for exit is just build a damn good business. So wait, I'm going to stop you there and ask you, Alan, like, is that good enough for you? Because um, I speak to a lot of VCs and for a lot of them, it's just not good enough. That sort of 10x potential has to be there from the start. And, and of course, my pushback to the sort of thinking is, I think Africa requires a certain different level of thinking. I'm not saying hold us to a different standard, but certainly the genre of or the doctrine of VC has to be, you know, context uh, appropriate. So I take on what Ken is saying, but on the whole, do you think the investment community thinks in that way, surely, about Africa and, and prospects like even Cellulant? I think more and more. Um, so so we, we have a, a bit of specific circumstance because we have no end of life. Meaning, like literally, uh, 10, 15 years is all good for us as long as we build a very big business and, and, and that's what we're going for. And I think that, you know, in the PE mindset, you have more that, you know, that, that you, you have a five year stretch. They you know have the business plan for the five years. They kind of know what it needs to be. I think even TPG is now taking a much more of a growth investor look at this than a real PE. Like there's not a balance sheet you invest in that you can financially re-engineer and then in like three, four years, you, you double the business or whatever. That it, this is a different, this is a different animal. And I think TPG totally gets that. But it, what you see now in Africa is that more and more real VCs are coming in that realize that investing in Africa is not, it's not going to be like your four or five year ride and then exit it to uh, uh, make an easy exit. I heard a VC, a very prominent one, actually suggest that thinking that way, what you just described, is actually 
non-constructive and actually quite in fact you know insulting to africans because you're not treating us like we deserve a different standard and and frankly we're better than that you know so he kind of flipped the script on on the whole situation and i I wonder what your thoughts are about that no that's interesting but i want to see that person invest in fintech anywhere in the world because fintech investment on average takes 10 years right so the whole five-year thing in fintech just doesn't make a lot of sense uh, and and so we don't look at it that way at all. And I think that literally in our board meeting, in our board discussions, there's people who have end of life, and they you know we, that's get discussed. But I, the focus is on let's build a very big business. So it, the way we look at things is not different in Africa than we look anywhere else. And, the, and for me, I really want the most important thing is you look at the founders. And you look at them operate and you look at what they've done so far and you look how they deal with their team. And it's like, is this person going to build a very big business? And it needs to feel, you need to feel in your gut, right? And sometimes you sit in front of someone and it's like, this guy or this girl is just going to build a very big business with us or without us. We don't like to invest in businesses that need us to build a big business. We like to invest in businesses that, that guys that that you know, guys and girls, they're going to build a big business, whatever. And hopefully, if we get on board, we can help them do even better or not make so many mistakes in, on the... But So that's what we look at. And it's not different in Africa. It's not different here. And it will always take time. And when you focus too much on exits, then you miss out what it's really all about. It's about you know growing, 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 getting more customers, make those customers happy. And if that happens... Uh, I couldn't be agree more with exit with uh, Ken. The exit will come. Uh, that's not not something we worry about. Can you? I heard you laugh like uh, you were laughing off mic when um, when Alan says that, you know, you know he'd like to see investors who think uh, you know that what's working in Silicon Valley should apply here as well. That um, he basically you know Alan nonsenses that notion, and I heard you laugh. Why why did you laugh? What what sort of rang true? Look, I mean, I, I, I struggle to get always in uh, these debates about Africa, how that should be treated. I think every, th- every situation is unique, right? I mean, it's, a, it's always dangerous to get, get, get into any sort of side of a platitude, and, 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 and that's just what it is. Oversimplification is the enemy, we like to say here. I think so. I think uh, the, the thing is this, is that uh, there, there, there's some legist, legitimate issues about how long it takes to build a foundation relative to other ecosystems in other parts of the world. I think that's just, just fact. It's just what it is. Uh, there are a couple of environmental challenges that are there. You know, they're just the talent. And most of them are fundamentally around just the state of development of ecosystem. But, but it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, right? And because on the same side that there are challenges and also on the other side is the same opportunities, right? And we, we always knew that, uh, for instance, that um, if we build our business and structure it well from a foundation point of view, that then becomes a competitive advantage. If we knew that uh, if we build good tech, uh, we localize the tech and that sort of thing. We knew that uh, uh, when the the large payment players come into the continent, we will have a natural distinct advantage because we can do what they do just as well as they do. But we are super local. We understand the local context and so on. So right. And so there's always a, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, pros and cons to the same side of the argument. Uh, but but I think. Um, to really build a good business, and I and I think um, recently uh, we, we were chatting with a, a Argentinian ent- entrepreneur who says he hates sort of se- being called a serial entrepreneur. He just says, "Look, I mean, if you look at the businesses that have made the most significant uh, uh, progress in the world, Microsoft uh, and uh, Apple and so on, those businesses are forty years old. I mean, they are really old." 
And so you really want to build uh, something great. You have to look at uh, you, have, you have to look at it in, in the long term. So I, I keep telling my investors and I keep telling TPG that if you really want to get good value from Cedillon, you got to hang in ten years, right? I think the biggest worry for me has always been less the investors, uh, but more looking at the founder team and and to s- see whether they have fifteen years on, do they still have gas in their tank? I've said this to Alad uh, one year ago. But now I, I, I tell him that's the thing that kept me, uh, give me sleepless nights throughout the last one year. So when I look at my uh, CTO, I look at my co-founder, I say, are these guys going to, do they have enough gas for another 10 years? Do I have enough gas for another 10 years? And quite frankly, one year ago, if you had asked me, I would have told you, I don't know. <laughs> so here's the thing. You guys allude to something really interesting. And I'm going to ask you, Alad, you said this before on the show, you know, the importance of founders and whether you know, the potential and all that. And... Um, there's this much broader debate about the bias applied to what looks good in terms of that. Like this team looks amazing versus that team could use some help versus that team might even have a great idea that's got huge potential, but there's the wrong team for some reason. Um, what on paper l- looks good about Ken and his team? You know, give me a sense of your filter. And then Ken, as he answers, I want you to to give me a sense of whether or not some of the things he's saying apply to how you think about team and what you might look out for now that you know you've successfully landed investment three times based on founder potential alone like what would you look for right but let's start with you Alex. yeah so i i think for for us it's um the the basic the basic filter goes like this so we we get we hear about an idea and about so you uh, you think, okay, do we like this market? Do we like this industry? Do we understand what they're doing? Then we look at some basic stats, right? And and what we like to see is growth. We like to see that things are really happening. And and we go in pretty early stage, So, but we always go in when there's some proof. And, and that proof needs to be kind of exciting, right? It needs to be exciting. And when that is, then you get to see the founders. And, and, and what we really look for is you know, guys and girls, and I just said it uh, as well, that you feel that well, they're, they're, they're unstoppable. So, I mean, does it help, for example, that in this case, we're talking about a guy and, and a co-founding team that is, uh, you know, one half Nigerian, the other half uh, Kenyan, drilling down into, say, this particular team? Like, what looks good on paper to you, even as you lead up to, we need to take a meeting, or let's fly to Kenya or Nigeria, let's go see what they're actually doing? Like, what are some of those? And I suppose it's an unfair question because it's almost like related to the secret source of what makes Velocity great or whatever you perceive makes Velocity great. But I'm just trying to get a sense, you know? Yeah, so I, and, and I don't think that we think in – I can't remember. It's, it's been a long time ago, but I can't remember thinking, hey, you know, there's a Nigerian here and there's a Kenyan here. And I, mean, I don't think we really think in those kind of terms. I think more, you know, what's interesting to me is you look at Ken's background – so Ken, serial entrepreneur, did it before, real technology guy, tech background, lots of grit, uh, you know, keeps on going, tough. That's that's what excites us. And then you look at Bologi's, uh, uh background, you know, he's been leading large organizations, large programs. Um, so like, hey, this, this is, that's, that's, you know, that, that's, that's a good, interesting team. And, but to be honest, specifically the fact that they've been at it for, really some time that that you know they've shown that they've got the grit to to really that and the stamina to go and build this really tough and complex business that's that's something that excites us and then and then we look we really look at what kind of the results we see so for example with settlement like one and a half years ago we decided to we needed to understand the business better and we were 
you know, so we, we took um, uh, seven days to travel five of their um, markets and really go in deep and talk to customers and talk to organization. And what we found is that like the infrastructure that is there that was built, that's real. Now, we can't, we, we can't determine, you know, when um, like mobile uh, payments are really going to take off in all these markets, which is happening quite right now, by the way. But uh, so that might take time and it has taken time is what we all know right after Mpesa, everybody thought that like, the whole continent will be doing mobile payments in a few years and look around us it's only now really breaking through and happening so it took longer than everybody thought but what we found out is that everything that was there was real right you would talk to banks and they would say ah we've been slow in kind of getting this whole mobile payment thing up but you know selling is our partner we'll get it right we'll take maybe another year or two we're banks right sorry about that but and we actually see that happening so it's it's the the the, the combination of you know what there is is that real that the, the growth that we see or the the infrastructure that's built is that is that really significant uh also for the stage it's that and then if we look at these guys these guys and girls that are doing this, you know, was this a lucky shot or, you know, were there kind of others or is it really the, the power of their personalities and their background that made this happen? And when those two fit, that's when we love to invest. <laughs> I think we're not the only ones, of course, right? But, but that's, I think, that's not a secret sauce, but that's the sauce. And so what do you make of all that, Ken? And does that align with how you think about, you know, how perhaps you've been profiled in the past and how you'd go about profiling for potential success in other founders? Uh, yeah, it's always interesting to to listen to to, to Alad, but I, uh, you know, talk about the subject. But I, I think uh, I, I do hear those things about about us and about other entrepreneurs. Uh, Great consistency, discipline, focus—you know, just the usual stuff, right? And it's, so we just done it for fifteen years, so it's it sort of sticks out in in our case. But I think, yeah, if uh, when I th- I th- I look at um, other entrepreneurs, I mean, I I, I talk to a lot of ent- entrepreneurs. I'm super passionate about the entrepreneurial ecosystem, um, and I'm always uh, <clears throat> making time for entrepreneurs. Some want me to sit on board, so I I don't have the time for that, but I do uh, oftentimes always sit. Uh, but but I make very small investments in terms of time, right? I sit with an invest uh, entrepreneur, spend two hours, three hours, talk about their business, sometimes with their ma- management teams and stuff like that. Uh, so I normally make a decision to invest more time. Uh, you know, if they want a second meeting uh, three months later to follow up on an issue, uh, based on I look for the same qualities. Do they have grit, whatever it is, and do they follow through on their commitments? Because you know, you have a discussion. They say, "I'm trying to do this. I'm launching this product. I'm doing that stuff." Uh, they sometimes they say I've got this problem. You deconstruct the problem and so on, and then you look later in three months, whatever have they followed through? And they, if they don't, I don't make more time, right? Just like don't just just because uh, good entrepreneurs learn. And in Velocity's case, it was very interesting. I think uh, during the process of investment, I think um, so. Alad had been talking to us about it, uh, 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 had been talking to us about his boss and <laughs> and talking to his boss about us. And I think we kind of danced around for two years. Or something like that, and then eventually we we, we said, hey, "Hang on, we think the timing is right." We got together. Yeah, so he came to Nairobi. So at the end of the day, you know, he looked at me and said, "You know, you guys have a good business, but I'm worried about one thing." Uh, so you guys are really strategy guys, but uh, uh, but but if the business needs to t- make tough decisions, I'm not sure that you could make tough tough decisions. I said, "Well, that's a very fairly good reading of 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 us, and that's that's right." Uh, but then, but he said, "Look, I mean, there's a couple of things that we're doing, and uh, you know, let's touch base in a couple of months." And he said, "Okay, fine. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd like to stay close to that." And then, in a couple of months, we came over to the Netherlands, 
And this time we were really convinced that uh, Velocity was a good partner. So we, were, we really wanted to get them on board. Um, and, and so we met and we had this sort of afternoon discussion, afternoon presentation. And yeah, at the end of the thing, you know what uh, the, um, Willem uh, said? He looked at us and said, you know what? I understand all of the stuff makes sense. But the thing that matters most is that you seem to have listened to the, to the advice that, that we discussed about and took it seriously and followed through. And that, in the end, was sort of the little indicator. And, and that's it. Good, good, good entrepreneurs listen. Good entrepreneurs reflect on problems because we have, you have a deep-seated uh, interest in getting your business forward. So anything somebody's saying business is too small or maybe you're not thinking deeply about this part of the strategy and stuff, uh, you take those things very seriously. You take them to heart because there could be something there. Somebody's given that ad advice for free. Their experience have done it before, seen it before. And yeah, good, good, good entrepreneurs uh, have great. They've got all those, the other stuff, but most important, they listen and learn and quick. I want to close off on this, on this question, which is not a light one. And um, fintech falls squarely into the disturbing trend uh, towards uh, data, its use, its commercial utilization, the ongoing disintermediation of, of citizens and their data, their online data, um, and, and questions about how that needs to be done right. Um, some people, you know, proponents of a future where perhaps citizens have more control or agency over their data and its commercial use, etc. Um, being that you're, you're a fintech play and uh, data and analytics being at the heart of pretty much every long view within fintech, I think, uh, on some, I can't speak for your business model or the intricacies thereof, but I have a sense that that must be at the, you know, at the center of at least a lot of the things you think about strategically. What do you make of you know, these debates, how do you grapple with these issues today, given what's trending right now, given the Facebook debacle, given um, how clearly like fintech is the toast of the town, given how we've got a lot of plays on the continent that are, uh, I suppose they're not, they're not hiding the fact that they're fintech plays, but really have, have, you know, launched fintech plays off the back of perhaps, you know, the premise of lighting up Africa or any other number of things on the continent right now. How do you at Cellulant in your leadership team, in your board, think about these issues you know, over the next five to 10 years and within the context of Africa's sort of entree into the fourth industrial revolution? The issue of data, I think in my, in my, in my view, is going to be one of the most sensitive in, 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 in our kind of business. I, I think there's a couple of things that are distinctly uh, different in, in our context, right? So when your, your, your business model is not advertising based and so on and so forth, your business model is not built on using data, right? So you generally f fairly stay within the rules, right? Because you don't need to, to you don't, you don't need to stretch. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll take that, but I do want to suggest that perhaps, I mean, you are part of the broader trend of bringing on formerly non-digital Africans online for the first time, many of whom don't quite understand the value of the data that they're going to surrender in the process or actively over the lifetime of their use of technologies that they never used before. So, I mean, yes, I hear your point. So I understand the difference between, say, Cellulant and perhaps an insights platform that is designed to you know, specifically glean data and sell it to third parties or, yeah. you know, package it in some other way. Yeah. But but you are part of that ecosystem and, and part of this wave, right? This new wave. So I, th I think it's kind of relevant to you as well. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're right. This is what I think. This is what my fundamental belief about data is. Um, I think people like us have to go the extra mile to explain to customers what the implications of the data that they're sharing. Um, and everything needs to be permission-based, right? So if uh, I'm submitting uh, data to sort of carry out a mobile transaction, I think it's, it's super important uh, to go the extra mile to actually uh, educate the consumer on what that means and stuff like that and how you're going to use it and stick to the rules. Just, I mean, it doesn't get more complicated than that, in my view. Um, and, and I think... Um, and the the burden is on uh, on companies like us to actually do that, right? To exert the effort. Now, if for you and me as consumers, if you look at the the way that uh, data is used, you've got all these long, complicated terms and conditions and so on and so forth that you need to be a lawyer <laughs> to to understand. I'm not sure that 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 is the model, right? And and in our case, for instance, where you're uh, basically sort of building profiles on farmers who were previously not banked, uh, can't read or speak English, and so on and so forth. I mean, you have to really adapt that context. Uh, you have to adapt the usage for that context. Uh, and I think it's, it's it's just a philosophy, right? I mean, you just uh, say, go the extra mile, uh, state why you need the information, make it very clear, make it accessible, make it user-friendly, user uh, and stick to the rules. So many questions I could ask, but we're totally out of time into our probability in the context of what you just said, the, the notion of... Um, even as people sign their data off, are they the potential to opt out should they decide to and the implication of whether or not they'll have access to it at a later date and, and, and just, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. who owns it? Oh my word, I can't. It's, a, it's yes, I understand. It's a very broad spectrum. Yeah, and it's, it's a topic full for a full for podcast on, on, on data. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I'll leave it at that. Um, but um, shout out to... Um, your team at Cellulant for, you know, <laughs> making it three in a row. Uh, how, how, how much time between each, each raise? Uh, so first raise in uh, 2011, second 2014, and we did some bridging rounds in between with Velocity and, and, and Progression, which is one of the other investors, and, 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 and now 2018. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and the reason I ask that I'm very cheekily because I know you're not going to tell me how long that, how many, how much runway that buys you. But um, listeners, you decide how much time before the next one. I don't know, <laughs> Alan. What do you think? No, I think uh, this will last for 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 quite some time. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's all we're getting, guys. But thank you so much. I have uh, Ken Jaroge, CEO and uh, co-founder of Cellulant, um, as well as Alid Lushinger, director of uh, private equity at Velocity Capital. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here, man. Thank you. Thank you. It was great.